to 14. So please open up your Bible with me to Luke chapter 18. And as I read our congregation, please do remember that this is the very, very word of God. Luke 18, starting from verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but be his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the ones who humble himself will be exalted. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we give you thanks for your word which is given to us. We pray that as this word which is inspired by the Holy Spirit as we come before it, Your spirit who abides in us would also illuminate the deep things of this scripture to us. And Lord, also help this weak and broken vessel to clearly exalt your name. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, congregation, do you like to be exalted? If I have to guess, if I take a poll, chances are, of course, of course, you would like to be exalted. We all like to be exalted. We all like to be well-regarded, then disregarded. We all like to be exalted rather than humiliated. And we like the feeling of exaltation, especially more, especially when, if we do not get it often in our life. For example, some of us may travel for work. I know some of you do travel for work. And for some employers, they are particularly kind. Sometimes they would book business or perhaps even first-class tickets for our business travels. And for those of us who would never pay for first-class tickets out of our own pocket during those rare occasions which we have such great things fall upon us, there is, I know from my personal experience, that there would be a strong temptation to walk past that crowd of people who are always congregating around the boarding gates holding up my first-class ticket 
and say, excuse me, excuse me, first class, first class coming through, please do not block my MVP boarding me, first class. Well, I know this may sound superficial and shallow, but sometimes when we are exalted, especially if we are exalted publicly, it can put us over the moon. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful because the Bible contains warnings about self-exaltation. And the parable that we are considering before us this morning is one such warning against those who exalt themselves for the sake of justifying themselves. And this morning, we will be considering the humiliation and exaltation with respect to justification from two angles, essentially by looking at two different persons mentioned in this parable. First, we'll be looking at the one who exalts himself. And secondly, we'll be looking at the one who humbles himself. With that said, let us begin by laying down some groundwork about the Gospel of Luke by highlighting the fact that humiliation and exaltation is a theme that runs through this Gospel of Luke. If you open up to the Gospel of Luke, to chapter 1, even just within chapter 1 itself, you will already see that there is someone of an exalted role, exalted status, who was humiliated. Who was that? Well, it was someone in the exalted position of a priest, priest who serves in the temple of the Lord. As such, may have an exalted role and status within the society. There's someone named Zechariah, who was a priest, who was in the position of exaltation, but he was humbled. He was muted because he did not believe that God could grant him a son at his old age. On the other hand, his wife of many, many years, his wife Elizabeth, who lived in a life of humiliation because she was barren, she did not have any child, her humiliation was removed because the Lord granted her a child. And in the same chapter, if you move down, you would read that there's another person, another humble little girl called Mary. And Mary, after being told by an angel that she would bear a child, and this one comes from God, she praised the Lord in verse 52 of Luke chapter 1 by saying regarding God, that he has brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estates. And the child which Mary bore would also say this in Luke 14, that is, that child we know to be Jesus himself. Jesus himself says in Luke 14 that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And as you can see, not only in the Gospel of Luke, but also in the book of Acts, which was also written by Luke himself, there is a strong theme of humiliation of the Jews because they rejected Jesus 
and there's also the exaltations for the Gentiles who believe in Jesus. So exaltation and humiliation is the theme that runs through the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. And with that said, we can come and consider our first point. Consider the one who trusted in himself, the one who exalts himself. And as we consider this first person, I want to say that we will be considering both him and the next person from three different, um, from three different aspects or three different sides. We will consider their, um, we'll consider their status, we'll consider their um, posture, and we will also consider their words or their prayer. And regarding this first person who exalts himself, we see that he truly, truly trusted in his status. And we know this because in verse 11, he said this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And truly, he's not like any other man. Why? Because he was a Pharisee. And his status as a Pharisee was the reason why he trusted in himself and exalts himself before God. And why would he do that? Because we already have some idea of who the Pharisees were. But to understand why he would do that, it benefits us to remind ourselves again who the Pharisees were exactly. The Pharisees, they were a sect within Judaism, and these ones, who they are ones who took on a strict regimen regarding the law, and particularly the laws pertaining to purity, laws pertaining to Sabbath observance, laws pertaining to prayer and tithing. And as such, the Pharisees, they are strict regarding the law, and they really are strongly caring and doing um, prayer. They observe the prayer strictly, they observe Sabbath strictly, and they also tithe religiously. And they were also considered by the people to be righteous men and are given honor in public places. They were preachers of the law. They were experts of the law. And as they were preachers and experts of the law, they are often given the places of honor in the marketplaces and are given the best seats in the synagogues. As such... The Pharisees, they were ones who displayed their righteousness externally, and they also enjoy the rewards of their external display. And upon this exalted status, this Pharisee placed his trust and thank God for it. Thank you, God. I'm not like any other man. And we see then he exalted himself in his status as a Pharisee. And we also see him exalting himself in his posture as well. Although 
The scripture itself makes no mentioning of where the Pharisees stood within the temple, but we know that within the temple there are different courts. There's the holy place, even even within um, the temple of Herod. There is the holy place, and far from it is the courts of the Gentiles. That's the foreigners. They are not close to God. They are they are to pray here. Then closer to God is the court of Israel. And the Pharisees would be in the court of Israel. And it is safe to assume that as the Pharisees, they are an exalted class. The Pharisee, in our parable, he would stand within the court of Israel. He would stand at a place that's closer to the holy place, the holy place of God. And not only that, We see then in verse 11 how it describes regarding the way, the posture of the Pharisee. Verse 11 says, the Pharisee was standing by himself. And the word for standing has an underlying connotation of standing upright, standing firmly. And his posture of standing upright and tall reflects his heart. It reflects a heart, a mental condition, or or, or a heart condition that thinks that he has a place to stand in God's temple, and he has a place to stand before God, that he belongs there. That's why they describe him as standing, standing upright. And furthermore, We also see that he was standing by himself. He didn't want to be close to any other man whom he felt has no match of his level of righteousness as a Pharisee. So in his posture, we also see self-exaltation display. He stands tall as if he has a standing before God, as as if he belongs there, And he did not want to stand next to other men, other sinners, because they, unlike him, do not have a standing before God. They are not a Pharisee. And what about his prayer then? How did this Pharisee pray? Well, in terms of the form of prayer, we see that his prayer is comparatively lengthy. This is a six-verse parable. And within this six-verse parable, his prayer took up a third of it. And although Jesus said that we are not heard because of our many words, we see that in this parable, this Pharisee's prayer is much longer than the other person. And not only in the length, but he also prayed audibly too, so that others could hear him and be impressed by his words, which brings out what he was doing, his works. As such, his prayer and his posture, both are external displays of his righteousness for others to see. And such behavior is what Christ warned against when he said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. 
So we see this Pharisee exalting himself. We see him exalting himself in his status as a Pharisee. And he, he exalts himself, as we can see it, his exaltation through his posture as well. And also in the way he prayed, in the length of his prayer. But we not only see his self-exaltation in these things, not only in the form of prayer, but also in the words by which he offered up as well. For if we look at verse 11 closely, we see that this Pharisee showed contempt toward others. He despised those other people, including the tax collector who was in the temple whom he can see. And his prayer revealed that he has a self-exalting attitude of, I am righteous, at least I'm more righteous than others, and that makes me okay. We see him comparing himself to the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterer, even the tax collector. And compared to them, he feels like, I'm just. I'm okay. I have a good standing before God. And he he stood upright. So instead of reflecting on how his righteousness can be put up, can be compared to God's standard, can be compared to God's law, he only compares himself to the people around him for a false sense of justification before God. And we also see how he focused upon the details of what he has done as well. He, com- he focused upon the quantity of his good works. He counted the number of times which he has fasted and how much he tithed in verse 12. We also see him counting all these good works in his prayer to give him a standing before God, a place before God in God's temple. And he really trusted in these good works of his because as he prayed, as he counted upon these things, he stood upright with a sense of pride. And in this, we see him exalting himself, but forgetting the much more critical things of the law, which the scripture reminds us of, which are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. For this is how Christ condemned the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 23. Christ said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. As such, through his prayer, we can tell that this Pharisee, who was supposed to be an expert of the law, who was a teacher of the law, did not really understand the heart of the law at all. But before, before we mock the Pharisee and say, well, thank you, Lord, I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not like him. We need to confess that we are not immune to this kind of attitude as well. Because we can recall in our mind 
of how often in our life we comfort ourselves and say that we are okay because we are not as bad. How often in our life do we say that we are okay because compared to other people, we are relatively fine. Or we say that we are okay because we belong to the perhaps the most biblical denomination to the best church in town, and we have the perfect church attendance morning and evening. And we even attend all the little studies in the middle of the week. Not only are we on time, we are ahead of time. And compared to other people who are always running late, I feel like I'm, I'm doing good. Is that such an attitude that we have? When in reality, the only way for us to be okay, the only way for us to be okay is to submit ourselves to God and confess our sins to Him. We often try to marginalize our sins and have this attitude of, it's okay, it's not a crime. What I did wasn't a crime. Or it's okay, it's not murder. Or if or with this attitude of, it's not a big deal if I leave this item out from my tax form. I already tithe enough money to the temple of the IRS. But we know, in reality, the only way for us to minimize our guilt and have forgiveness is to confess it all to God. We are never to count on our own work for justification before God or even marginalize our guilt, marginalize our sins for justification before God as well. And this behavior of counting on our works for justification and minimizing the wrongs we have done, this was the mistake of the Pharisee who depended upon his own good works before God. And in contrast to the one who exalted himself was the one who humbled himself, which appeared later on in the parable. And who was this person? Again, we do not have the exact name of this person, but we have the status of this person, his identity. This other person was the tax collector. And back then, the tax collector, they were hated by the Jewish people because as fellow Jews, these ones supported the injustice of Roman oppression by collecting tax for them. And if that's not enough, they were also known to get rich from their work by cheating their own people's tax money. And plus, because they are often in contact with the Gentiles, that makes them ceremonially unclean to the other Jews. In short, the tax collectors, they were despised as sinners and were regarded as partners of the Romans in the persecution of the Jewish people. And in contrast to the Pharisees, to the Pharisee in our parable, who gave tithe, who tithed as money, um, who gave his money as tithe, this tax collector would be one who steal money unrighteously. 
And so, in contrast to the Pharisee, who appeared, who appeared righteous and had the outward exaltation, this tax collector, just by his status, is humiliated amongst the Jewish people. And not only that, not only was his status a humiliating one, his posture was also humble as well. For verse 13, verse 13 of our passage, we can see how, um, how he behaved or how, what his status was within the temple. Verse 13 highlights the fact that he was standing far off due to the weight of his sin. Verse 13 says he was standing far off. And although God welcomes him in to his temple, which is a house of prayer, God welcomes him in to pray. This tax collector, he still stood far off because he knew he was unworthy. He knew he was a sinner. And his humbleness was further revealed in that he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breasts. This was a great contrast against the Pharisee who was standing by himself, looking up, standing as if he belongs in the temple upon his good work. This tax collector was in the back, far off, bowing his head down, lowering his head, and beating his chest. And this beating of the chest was a sign of grief, a sign of humiliation, and a sign that he was crushed by what he has done. And how do we know? We know the beating of breasts was a sign of humiliation, a sign of grief, because at the foot of the cross, there is a crowd of people that after witness the death of Jesus Christ, they did the same thing after realizing the sins which they have committed. And this is revealed to us in Luke 23, verse 48. And all the crowd that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken, taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And this is interesting because, interesting and remarkable because earlier within Luke, in Luke 23 and 22, we see it was a crowd of people from the city of Israel, um, sorry, city of Jerusalem, who went before, the, before Pontius Pilate. And on the day of Passover, Pontius Pilate would customarily release one person, one prisoner, for the Israelites, for the people of Jerusalem. And these crowd, the crowd of people from Jerusalem, who did they ask for? They asked for Barabbas. And what about Jesus? They say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And again, people from Jerusalem now gather again for the spectacle. Previously, they gathered for the spectacle of judgment. 
before Pontius Pilate, and now they gather for the spectacle of crucifixion. And upon witnessing what had taken place, upon witnessing the death of Jesus, they beat their chest, returned home crushed by what they had done. And such behavior, such action, was also done by the tax collector in our parable. He was beating his chest because he understood what he had done. So the posture of this tax collector was humble. His status was humble. What about his prayer? How did he pray? Well, his prayer was brief in comparison to the Pharisees because this tax collector only used six words, six Greek words in comparison to the 29 used by the Pharisee. And we can see also from his prayer that this tax collector was not concerned about explaining every single um, sin or, or explaining himself before God. He did not get into the details of his sin, although we know that we ought to confess all our sins before God, but here in the parable, this tax collector was content with God. Have mercy, have mercy on me, a sinner, or God be merciful to me, a sinner. And what's interesting here is that the Greek definition for this word, mercy or merciful, is actually be propitious or make propitiation for. This means that if we read this verse in its Greek, in, its, in Greek, it would literally mean God, make propitiation for me, a sinner. And this, this is remarkable and interesting because according to the law, Propitiation requires a sacrifice. And the tax collector come into the temple where sacrifice were meant to be made. And he come in there. He did not buy the sacrifices that were available. But he asked God to make propitiation for him. Whereas the Pharisee, who was well-versed in the scripture, who overlooked all the rituals of the temple, who the rituals including washing of hands and feet, the rituals of sacrifice, all of these are stipulated, are given in the law to remind the people that they are not worthy to come before a holy and righteous God. The Pharisee overlooked all these things and stood upright standing on his good work by the tax collector understood that it requires a sacrifice. He understood the important things of the law. He humbled himself and asked for mercy, for propitiation, not any propitiation or any sacrifice, but the one that God would make himself, the one that all the animal sacrifice points to, the, the one ultimate sacrifice that God will make for his people. The tax collector was asking God to make propitiation for him with that sacrifice. So congregation, in light of this, 
in light of the humbleness of the tax collector, we have to remind ourselves that we too have to be humble because this is what God called us to do. This is what Christ himself called us to do even at the end of this passage about being humble and to be exalted. And we know we have to be humble because it's a given command here. And indeed, there are times when we are wronged by other people around us, when we are false accused, falsely accused, we do have a right to defend ourselves and to clear our name. But as we are sinners, our focus isn't upon how others have sinned against us or how we are better than others, but our focus is upon how we have sinned against a holy God. And truth be told, if we truly understood understood that we are sinners and we recognize that, we won't feel like we deserve anything. Rather, if we truly understand that we are but sinners, we will understand that we deserve to be mistreated because we are sinners. But may God have mercy on us and deliver us. And the good news is that God indeed is merciful. God indeed is the one who humbles the exalted and exalts the humble. For Jesus Christ himself said in verse 14 that this tax collector went down to his house justified. This tax collector is forgiven even though he is a sinner. But the self-righteous one The Pharisee, the one who exalted himself and trusted in his good works, went home condemned. Furthermore, congregation, we need to humble ourselves constantly. We need to recognize that we are sinners before God and we sin constantly as well. So the chief thing for us is not whether we have repented But the chief thing for us is whether we have repented of our many sins and ask for forgiveness, whether we are doing that throughout our lives, throughout our days, because we are sinners and we continue to sin. And we also need to pray to God and ask him for grace to forgive others of their sins as well. This is a part of praying for one another that the scripture commands us to do. And this is also the pattern shown to us through the Lord's Prayer that we are to forgive others and pray for them um, when they are in sin. And this life of humbleness is the life that the scripture before us commands us to live. And this is also a life that Christ himself lived as well. For Christ Jesus himself, he humbled himself. He who was fully God, humbled himself, descended from heaven, and took on flesh in incarnation, being born under the law, underwent the miseries of this life. And not only that, he who was sinless bore the sins of God's people and offered himself up as the propitiation for their sins upon the cross. 
Those are the sins of God's people, the sins of the tax collector. Those are our sins as well. And not only that, he died upon that cross in a humiliating way, condemned as a sinner. He died the worst death of the Roman Empire. But God exalted him and raised him up because he was sinless and righteous. And through his death and resurrection, the sin of God's people, the tax collector's sin, and our sins, they are all atoned for. And through his death and resurrection, he also opened up our access to the Father. We, as ones who believe in him, we are able to approach the Father now because we are covered in the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ, who was humiliated and then exalted. And as a result of his humiliation and exaltation, the humble tax collector, who was standing far off in the court of Israel, he's no longer far off anymore. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, that tax collector was drawn near to God, not just, to, not just right next to where the Pharisees stood. No, he went further and closer to God than that. He went beyond the holy place, beyond the veil, which was broken from top to bottom when it taught at the time of Jesus' death. He went to the place which the holy of holies represent. He was drawn near to God, to heaven, which was represented by the holy of holies. And he had such a nearness to God because of the Spirit who abides in all those who believe in God and his Christ. And only through the blood and righteousness of Christ, who was sinless and fully fulfilled the law, could anyone, could anyone stand before a holy and righteous God. And as Christ was exalted by the Father, believer, you who often feel like your life is full of humiliation and humbleness, you, as you are found in Christ, you will be exalted as well. You will be exalted in the day when Christ returns, when we will be openly declared in front of all the world and separated out to be God's own people. And you will be exalted because on that day, you will join Christ in the feast of heaven. And for the friends and visitors, or perhaps the young children who are still considering this gospel, ask yourself, are you standing upon your good works? Are you feeling good about all your accomplishments in your career? in school, or perhaps in all the good works you have done in society to make you stand tall in light of the coming judgment. Please do remember that on that day, in the day to come, you will be standing before a completely holy God 
against whom your good works are merely filthy rags, and even if you have done all the good things, you would have simply done what you ought to have completed. So instead of standing on imperfect works, instead of that, offer up prayers to God in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and to be covered with his righteousness. For Christ promised that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. So come before him and confess your sins to him instead of depending on your own good works. And remember to humble yourself before him and he will exalt you. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we give you thanks for your word which is faithful and true. Your word reminds us that our, our work amounts to nothing, that we do not come before you depending on our own good works, but those who pray to you for mercy, for propitiation, those who humble, you, those who humble before you will be exalted by you and be lifted up. We pray that you would truly cause us to humble ourselves and depend only on the exalted Christ for our confidence, for our justification before you, our holy and righteous God. And we pray for all these things in the name of Christ, who is exalted in heaven. Amen.